Well, welcome to Newport Church Online on the July 4th weekend. And of course, this is a day of celebrations. I hope that you had a, a great time with your family, with your friends. Um, and it's, of course, a day when we as a nation celebrate independence from the tyranny of the English. And I can say that because I'm English. And, but I am blessed because I have the opportunity to live in a country like America with the liberties that we enjoy in this nation. And so I'm very thankful for our nation. Let's pray at this time. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for, for uh, God's hand to be on this nation, for God to awaken our nation to his love and his grace and his presence. Let's pray for healing in this time of, of uh, racial tension. Let's pray for healing in a time when our whole communities have been in upheaval and pray that God's kingdom will come and God's will be done. So welcome to the service. I pray that the worship and our time in the word, word will uplift you and will cause faith to rise in your heart in Jesus' name. Good morning, Newport Church. Happy Sunday. We're so happy that we can come together to worship and how true is it to know that our victory is in Christ alone because of who he is, because of his name, because of what he's done and who consistently shows himself to be. So as we go into this time of worship, let's remember that we have our full victory in Christ. Amen. Cause a God I serve knows only how to triumph Our God will never fail Our God will never fail I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord
on, church. Let's continue to stir up our faith and put our trust in Jesus. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Let's sing full of faith. Take what the enemy meant for evil And you turn it for good You turn it for good You take what the enemy meant for evil And you turn it for good You turn it for good Let's sing it again You take what the enemy meant for evil And you turn it for good turn it for good you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good you turn it for good I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you Lord I'm gonna see a victory Nothing 
Father, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we are so aware that wherever we are, that you are with us. Your word says, if God be for us, who can be against us? And so we're so thankful for your love, your grace, your presence, your power. And today I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts through this coming week. And Lord, may we know you at work in us and through us. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to continue our worship this morning by sharing a couple of thoughts about our giving. And Jesus was, of course, the greatest expression of God's generosity to us. All that we experience in regard to salvation and forgiveness and hope and the promise of eternal life and the peace and the presence of God through the Holy Spirit that we enjoy is because God gave his son. God gave out of the generosity of his heart and it gave him great joy to see you and me 
and all the millions, even billions of people who have accepted the love of God through the gift of his generosity. And the amazing thing is that you and I were created in the image of God. And because we're created in the image of God, we're created to be givers. And we're created to come alive when we begin to give, to, to really uh, to experience the, the grace and the joy of giving is a powerful thing. And I pray that we would always, that would always be alive in each and every one of us, in every area of life, in the generosity of our words, in the generosity of our actions, in the generosity of our spirit, but also in the generosity of our giving, of our finances. And of course, the Word of God lays a, out a pattern, that's a pattern uh, for each and every one of us. And, and God says, if you bring the tithe, the first tenth of everything that comes into your life, into the storehouse, the storehouse is the local church, then I will open the windows of heaven and I'll pour out such blessing, you will not be able to contain it. And there's a pattern for us to follow. And if we choose to follow that, the, the blessing is evident and it's there. And God even says, look, if you're afraid or you're worried or you're anxious about that, try me now in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing upon you that you won't be able to contain it. So I want to encourage you for those who've tithed and, and can testify and know the power of that, uh, it, it's a wonderful thing to have experienced that, but maybe you have never ever taken that step and we want to encourage you. Why don't you try? Why don't you, why don't you put God to the test? It's the only place in the Bible where God says that you can test him. So put him to the test, see what he will do. And I believe that God will bless you greatly. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you that that we are a church community that really do come alive when, when we give and when we're generous. And I believe that's such an important thing for all of us. So going on the screens are a number of ways that you can give. I wanna pray for you, pray for us as we give our offerings, tithes and donations today. Father, I thank you that you are a God who gives and Lord, that we're created in your image. Help us Lord to know your supernatural provision. Lord, for those who take that step, open the windows of heaven, pour out such blessing we can't contain it. Prove yourself as you promise that you will in your word and we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, God bless you as you give. Sunday and happy July 4th weekend. I love my flag. I received this when I became an American citizen five years ago this summer and our older kids also followed suit the same year. First was Bo, followed by Ben and then Bella 
And of course, little London Eternity was born here. So she has the born in the USA status. And we are working on Pastor Jonathan because that's a really good idea. There's a new art installation in our home that I love. It's three frames that are above our TV in our living room and they're flags. They're actually flags representing where we came from. Australia on the left, UK on the right, and the USA in the middle. And I love them because it's like amazing to have a heritage, like where did you come from? But I'm so grateful and we're so privileged to be citizens here of the USA. And when I think about being a citizen, I also think about, you know, earth life, and then I think about eternity life. So I want to read to you a scripture from Philippians uh, chapter three, uh, verses 20 to 21, because not only do I know that I'm a citizen of the USA, but I'm a citizen of heaven and you're a citizen of heaven, no matter where you've come from. That's a really beautiful thing to know. And this is what the Bible says. But there's far more to life for us. We are citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of our Saviour, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like His own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and around him. As I said, super grateful to be waving this flag. I am like, I love this country and I pray for our nation and that our nation would be healed and whole. I want to say that when I arrive home anytime from an international flight and I come through the customs area, there is nothing like hearing the words, welcome home. And you only get to hear those if you're a citizen of the United States. And the most comforting and amazing thing is all of us get to hear those words when we go out into eternity and we're in heaven, we're gonna hear Father God, we're gonna hear our beautiful Jesus say, welcome home. God bless America. God bless you. Happy July 4th weekend. Well, I want to continue with the series that we started last week on Jesus and justice. A few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus and injustice for a couple of weeks. And I wanna continue with the series on Jesus and justice. And I wanna begin with the verse from Hebrews 1 from the message version of the Bible where God the Father is speaking to his son. And this is what he says. But he says to the son, you're God and on the throne for good. Your rule makes everything right. You love it when things are right and hate it when things are wrong. The Amplified Version of the Bible puts it this way, you have loved righteousness, integrity, virtue, uprightness in purpose, and have hated lawlessness, injustice, sin. These verses make it very clear to us that God loves justice and he hates injustice. 
that he rules on the throne for good. And he loves it when things are right and he hates it when things are wrong. Jesus came to establish his kingdom here on earth. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. And the kingdom that Jesus came to establish was a kingdom of love and justice. And as we've been looking at this subject over the last few weeks, we've been asking ourselves the question, how did Jesus address injustice? How did he establish justice on the earth? What would Jesus do if he was living in these times in the midst of all the turmoil, all of the racial tension, all that has been taking place with COVID-19 and, and now all the rioting that has taken place in our nation? How would Jesus address these issues? And of course, Jesus was no stranger to injustice. He was no stranger to turbulence, to turmoil, to tension, racial, political tension. And he navigated all of these and taught us how we can respond rather than react to what is happening around about us and be agents for change, establishing justice in every sphere of our lives and world, beginning in us, in our homes, in our community, in our church, in our workplaces. And so as we look at this time and as we look at the environment that Jesus was born into, we can, we can create, as it were, a, a framework with which we can look at our world, a lens through which we can see our world and learn how to respond. There is no doubt that Jesus, more than any other person in history, did more through the power of love to transform the injustices of this world and to transform and establish our world with justice more than any other individual or any other movement that has ever existed. We looked last week at how Jesus came, established justice through love, not hate. That hatred is not the solution to bring change and justice, but rather love. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. While the zealots and those that were trying to overthrow the Romans in Jesus' day were driven by hate, Jesus was motivated by love. We looked at how Jesus established justice through grace, not law, and that when the religious leaders and the leaders of his day were driven by their political agendas and enforcement of religious laws, Jesus came into his world full of grace and truth, Truth to reveal, grace to heal. Truth to reveal what was wrong, grace to heal what was wrong. And there can be no justice without truth being revealed, but there can be no healing without grace to heal. So grace was always the leading edge of Jesus's ministry. That's why John in his epistle or his gospel, he writes, uh, Jesus came full of grace and truth. He led with grace in every single way as he approached injustice. So in part two of this series, I want to take time to focus on how Jesus created a culture of justice. Jesus didn't only teach about justice. He created a culture of justice in his followers. 
in every sphere of their life and in every sphere of their influence. Jesus was born into a culture of injustice and he established a culture of justice. So first of all, we we need to look at the meaning of culture. When we talk about a culture of injustice or a culture of justice, a culture of exclusivity or inclusivity, a culture of division or unity, a culture of honor or dishonor, a culture of grace or judgment or a culture of negativity or positivity, what does that mean? Well, the first thing we have to understand is that every home, every community, every business, every church, every nation has a culture. The definition of culture, the most simple definition of culture I've ever heard is the way we do things around here. Culture is so powerful, culture is so deeply ingrained and encoded in our lives that we often don't know why we do what we do because simply it's the way we've always done things. It's the way we've learned how to do things. That's precisely why culture is so powerful and it can be one of our greatest friends or it can be one of our greatest enemies. It's at work in our subconscious. Even while we're asleep, it's working its way into everything that we do. And that's why it's important that we understand the power of culture and sometimes we have to unlearn some of those deeply encoded uh, cultural things that we have learned in our own lives that need to change. Culture basically is defined as the total of inherited ideas, beliefs, values, and knowledge which constitute the shared bases of social action. It's an integrated system of beliefs. A culture will always grow what a culture is. When a culture is right, it will produce things that are right. When the culture is flawed, it will create or produce what is flawed. This weekend, the 4th of July weekend, when our nation celebrates independence from England. I grew up in England and I learned about the, the war, of, uh, I, I learned about the American Revolution. Here in America, we teach about the War of Independence. Of course, the English and the Americans look at that moment, 1776, through a different lens. But it's a great day when we celebrate uh, the birth of a nation and the values and beliefs that we share and the freedoms that we enjoy today that came out of that Declaration of Independence. And this weekend, all over the United States of America, and I know that COVID-19 will have curtailed a lot of those celebrations, but people around the world will be, uh, around this country will be celebrating, and there will be all sorts of things that will be taking place that are customs that have been learned that are a part of the American culture. And, and many of those, all of those things are a product of American culture. There are things, as I said, in our culture that are positive, there are things that are negative. In my conversation or the conversation that I had with, with uh, John Siebling and Wayne Francis on race, hope, and healing, 
John Siebling made an interesting statement and he said this, he says, this nation was founded on a fault line and we're now experiencing the earthquake. And so there were some flaws in, at the beginning in the culture of the day. And, and, and Jesus addressed those flaws. Every generation will need to address certain aspects of its culture that need to change. And Jesus set the example for how he did that in a world where people had moved away from the truth of God's word and his, his passion for justice. So I wanna take some time to look at three things this, mor this morning. The first of these is Jesus created a culture of justice with a language of mercy, justice, and hope. There are many things that create culture, but language is one of the main ways that culture is shaped, preserved, and perpetuated. Uh, language is not only an expression of culture, language creates culture. And uh, we, we, we can see that because if we grow up in a home that th where the language is predominantly negative, it will create a negative culture in the home. If we grow up in a home where the language is predominantly positive and encouraging, we will find in that home a culture of positivity and encouragement. The language and our language creates our culture. Language is constantly adapting. Language is constantly changing, reflecting the, our lives, experiences, and culture. But it's also shaping culture as well. Interestingly, in the conversation on race, hope, and healing that I had with Wayne Francis and John Siebling, one of the things that they were talking about is because of what has taken place in recent times, we need to look at our language. We need to look at sayings and things that we have, have uh, phrases that we have used or maybe things that at one time were overlooked or deemed to be acceptable, but that we need to look at and we need to begin to change. Why? Because if we want to create a culture of justice, then we need to develop a language of justice. We need to develop a language of mercy, of hope. And so language is such a powerful way of creating culture. A culture grows what a culture is, and a culture is shaped by the language we speak. Jesus created a culture of justice with the language of mercy, justice, and hope. Five times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus was not just saying, teaching a new teaching. Jesus was actually shaping and creating a new culture through a new language that his disciples and followers of Christ would learn. He was creating a language that would create a new culture where anger was diffused. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder, but I say to you, don't be angry. Where purity of heart was fostered, where he said previously the, the word says you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, don't even look at a woman with lust in your heart, for if you do, you have committed adultery. 
uh, a culture of integrity. He said, you, you, it's been said, don't swear falsely, but I say to you, don't swear or make an oath on anything at all. Be integrous about what you say. It's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. A culture of non-retaliation. It's been said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. He was developing a culture of love, not hate. So we need to understand that our language is so powerful and it's such a powerful part of changing culture. When God began to, a new, a, a, a new beginning with Abraham, the father of our faith, God started again uh, with an individual, Abraham, and then a family, Isaac and Jacob and then a nation, the nation of Israel, and ultimately so that the nations of the world could be blessed. He did, the first thing he did with Abraham is he changed his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, a father of a multitude. The reason God did that was he was, he was saying to Abraham, I want to change the way you speak. Every time you open your mouth, you're not going to say, my, I am an exalted father. You are going to say, I am the father of a multitude. And in that statement, a, a, a declaration that through him, God was going to bless all the nations of the earth. If God could, uh, if God could change the way Abraham spoke, he could change the course of his destiny. And in exactly the same way as we, uh, as followers of Jesus, observe what Jesus did in creating a new language of, of, of mercy, a new language that reflected uh, mercy and, and, and grace, we can see transformation and we can see change take place in our own lives, in our homes, in our workplace, our community, our church, and any sphere of influence we have. Number one, Jesus created a culture of justice through a language of mercy, justice, and hope. The second thing is that Jesus created a culture of justice through his relationships with those who were hurting. Romans 8.3 in the message version of the Bible, we read that Jesus personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Jesus entered into our world. In, in the book of, uh, uh, of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, 15 to 21, it says of Jesus, Jesus knowing that they were out to get him, the, the Pharisees were trying to trick him, moved on. A lot of people followed him and he healed them all. He also cautioned them to keep it quiet following guidelines set down by Isaiah, which is, look well at my hand-picked servant. I love him so much. Take delight in him. I place my spirit on him. He'll decree justice to the nations, but he won't yell, won't raise his voice. There'll be no commotion in the streets. He won't walk over anyone's feelings, won't push you into a corner. Before you know it, his justice will triumph. 
the mere sound of his name will sing, signal hope even among far off believers. I love that. The mere sound of Jesus' name will signal hope among far off believers. Why is that? Because Jesus did not stand aloof. He didn't stand in heaven in an ivory tower. He entered into our world. He talked with people. He walked with people. There was nothing aloof about Jesus. And he entered into a culture of exclusivity, of injustice, of marginalized people, a culture of us and them, an adversarial culture. And he didn't live like the religious people of his day in an ivory tower. He didn't take the posture of a scholar, a philosopher, a social commentator, a pundit, a critic, a hashtag activist. He entered into relationship with people. He walked with them. He talked with them. He entered into the disordered mess of our humanity. Why? Because Jesus knew that relationship is the seedbed of reconciliation and restoration. There can be no reconciliation. There can be no restoration without relationship. So instead of Jesus taking a posture of being an instructor or a teacher, he walked amongst people and he walked amongst the downtrodden. He walked amongst those that were hurting. He talked with them. He heard their cry. He heard their prayer. He heard their story. He walked in their shoes. He talked with them. He ate with them. He was criticized for sitting down and eating with tax collectors and sinners. He sat at the table with them. He listened to their stories. And Jesus said, I did not come to, to heal those that don't need a physician. I came to heal those that are sick. I came to heal those that are hurting. And so we, he, Jesus demonstrated that in all of his activity, in all of his life. When he met a Samaritan woman at the well at midday, he sent his disciples into the town to buy some food. Why? Not because he was hungry, because when they came back he, he, and they offered him food, he said, I, I don't need to eat. I, I've eaten food that you know nothing of. My food is to do the will of my father. He sent them away because he knew they couldn't handle the conversation that he was about to have and the person he was about to have the conversation with who was a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman to whom no Jewish person, person would talk, a woman who came to the well at midday rather than at dawn or in the, at dusk because she had been ostracized from her society and the only way that she could draw water from the well without being harassed was to come at midday. An immoral woman who, who Jesus entered into a conversation about her morality and, and showed her love and grace, something she had never experienced before, taught her about how she could connect with God and that God could touch her heart, which was obviously broken. And so Jesus had a meaningful compassionate conversation with her. And through his interaction with her, she was healed. I believe that, that more than ever, it is our relationships with the people in our world 
that is gonna bring healing. Our relationships with people who are hurting, our relationships with people who, who are wounded. And, and Jesus demonstrated that. And he brought justice to his world by entering into a constructive relationship with each and every person that he encountered. Jesus brought justice to the world through his relationships with those who were hurting. The third and final thing that I wanna talk about this morning is that Jesus created a culture of justice by creating a culture of responsibility and accountability. Two things that Jesus taught about responsibility and accountability that are very important for all of us. First of all, we are all responsible and accountable for our actions. There will be one day a day of reckoning. And so we are responsible. It's very easy for us to hold other people responsible for why we do what we do, but ultimately God holds us all responsible and accountable for our actions. The second thing is that we are all responsible and accountable for using what God has given to us to help others. I love the story in Luke 12, 48, where Jesus says, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. In the New King James Version, it says, to whom much is given, much is required. And the context of that statement is a parable of the homeowner, a homeowner, and a servant who's been entrusted with looking after his master's house and affairs. And the expectation of the master is that after he's returned from a journey, uh, he's gonna find that his servant has not been sleeping, firstly, that he's been faithful with what he's been entrusted with, and that he's been looking after his master's affairs, and that he has not been mistreating those around about him. This is what it says, Luke 12, if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there'll be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks my master won't be back for a while and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. Well, there's a pretty strong admonition for all of us to be faithful with what God has entrusted to us. And because we have personal responsibility and there will be accountability and that we use what God has given us to help others not to use what we have to push others down. It's very interesting, this passage of scripture, to whom much is given, much is required, because the nation of Israel had been given much. They had been given more than any other nation. They were the only nation that had been set apart by God, to whom God had revealed himself, with whom God had established covenants, through whom Jesus, the Messiah, the savior of the world was born. They had been given much. They had been given the Bible, the word of God. They had been entrusted with the very words of God. And what did they do with it? They held on to it. They didn't know that they had been given that so that they could share it with their world. 
And so when Jesus came, he set the scene for the, the reality of, 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 of hope and salvation through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the salvation that would come to the whole world. That was the moment when God said, I have preserved this nation for this purpose. I have entrusted you with my word. I have entrusted you with a covenant relationship so that you can take that message to the world that every Gentile, every non-Jew, every person on the face of the earth will know that there is a God of love who sent his son to die in their place so that they could be saved. But what happened? They held on to it. And it was not until Acts chapter 10, 10 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, that Peter had a vision of a sheep being lowered from heaven. And he received a message from Cornelius, a Roman soldier, and he realized and had a revelation and an experience where he understood that salvation was not just for the Jews, but what they had been given, the responsibility they had been given, and what they had was to share with others. And uh, uh, we, we see there, to whom much is given, much is required. They'd been given the privilege and the honor of being custodians of the, world, of the word, and with that privilege came a responsibility. Now, it's very important that with every privilege comes a responsibility. This is what Paul said. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell everyone everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. The greatest privilege came with the greatest responsibility. Um, in Jeremiah 25 and verse 17, Jeremiah brings a, a admonish, admonishment to the nation of Israel. And he brings them a rebuke from God. And he says, Jerusalem, because you haven't done what I've called you to do, because you, he says, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah being most guilty because their privileges were the greatest. In other words, they had been given the greatest privileges and yet they had not used them to bring blessing and hope and help to others who were in need. In the early 1990s, when we were living in Australia and I was a pastor in a church in Sydney, my responsibility at that time was to oversee our church planting projects. We had uh, a vision and a goal to plant 50 churches around the world, mostly in developing nations, over a five-year period of time. And one of the nations where we were planting churches was the nation of Ghana in West Africa. And during that time, we were able to plant 15 churches. I had visited there many times and had taught and done training and, and, and had spent quite, enough, quite an amount of time in that nation. And uh, I had a friend at the time whose name was Lee, who was working for an organization called Opportunity International. Opportunity International were an organization that started job creation programs around the world. And they were initiating and starting job creation programs, giving people loans um, that were 
uh, loans that they could use to start a business. They would train them. And then when the business was up and running, the loan could be repaid and then the loan could be uh, given to someone else. And in the midst of that, there was a very strong element of value formation, of teaching people values that were, would enable them to build their businesses in, in, an, in, a way, in, a, in an integrous way. One of the issues or problems that we faced planting our churches was that the pastors and the, and the churches that we had planted were dependent upon us for support. And I can remember when Lee had shared what he was doing, uh, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be amazing if we could start a job creation program in Ghana so that those pastors could uh, end up not being dependent upon outside support, but rather that they could uh, be empowered to, uh, for their people to, to start businesses and to grow those businesses and to see their lives changed uh, and, and begin to develop into strong communities that in turn could help other people. At the time, uh, I, I, I talked, I can remember when I had the idea and I talked to my friend Lee and I said, can we do this? Well, to cut a long story short, initially there was some resistance and no, not from him, but from others that no, this was not gonna be possible, but we persevered. And in the end, we ended up uh, beginning a, a job, uh, initiating a job creation program. We raised the seed finance through a fun run in Sydney and we, that seed finance was matched and we went, to, we went to Ghana, we shared the vision, we gathered a board and, and began the process. The, the, the organization that was started was called Sinapi Abba, which in Akan means mustard seed because I had been teaching about how the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. That is the smallest of seeds, but becomes the largest of trees. And then the birds of the air take shelter in the tree. So we started the job creation program and, 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 and it began to grow. We found a chairman, uh, a man by the name of Kwabena Daka, well-known in Ghana, who was very influential. And he, he, it was an amazing moment because he had had that vision in his heart. So I had a vision in my heart, Lee had a vision in his heart, Kwabena Daka had a vision in his heart, and we had a, a really, through a supernatural series of events, I was able to meet with him, with Lee, and we were able to discuss what we planned. And Sanapiaba was born. And I am so grateful for the opportunity that we had as people in Australia who were partnered by people in the United States in, in helping to start a job creation program that empowered people. And rather than just giving a handout, we were able to give people a hand up. You've always maybe heard it said that it's better to teach someone how to fish than to give them a fish. And so we had the opportunity to be able to partner with others and to see that vision become a reality. I know that by 2005, which was 10 years after the program had started, 
the impact of that program was very significant. Over 250,000 loans had been given out over that period of time. Uh, every loan impacted five people. So that meant that over a million people had been impacted through that program in a 10-year period, which at the time was close to 5% of the uh, population of Ghana. And of course, since 2005, 15 years ago, that number has grown exponentially. That was uh, a, a, an opportunity. As I look back on that, it was an opportunity for us to whom much was given to do something for others, to do something that would make a difference in other people's lives. And, and I, I believe that that was a great, it was, it was an amazing opportunity for me to partner in that process and to be a part of that. And I think that verse, to whom much is given, much is required, applies to that story so powerfully. That uh, example for me left a lasting impact on me. We're all responsible for and accountable for our actions. We're all responsible and accountable for using what we have to help others. Jesus said, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. I pray that all of us can use what God has given to us, whatever it may be, whatever the situation of our, our birth, whatever we experienced as children, whatever we have in our hand, all of us have something that we can do to make a difference in other people's lives. And in many cases, that is relative. The reality is that there are, when it comes to the developing world, the developing world is in a situation where they are, do not have the same advantages that we have in the developed world. And so all of us can look at what God has given to us and understand that for every one of us that may be different, but whatever it may be, we can do something that may, will make a difference. And some of the lessons that I learned from my experience with Sanapiaba was that the smallest of ideas, a simple idea can become a reality if we act on it in faith. Secondly, we're better together. There's no way I could have done that by myself, but in partnership with Lee, with Opportunity International, with Kwebena Dhaka, with the churches in Ghana, together we were able to do something that right now is flourishing and thriving almost 20 years later. And then thirdly, we can all make a difference. However insignificant we may seem to be in our own eyes, every one of us can make a lasting difference. And we can bring change and justice to our world. The smallest of seeds can become the largest of trees. And just like Jesus, every one of us can create a culture of justice with a language of mercy, justice, and hope. Secondly, every one of us can see justice come in our day when we create a culture of justice through building relationships with those who are hurting. And then thirdly, we can create a culture of justice 
by creating a culture of responsibility and accountability. I pray that this message has encouraged you and inspired you. Let's be the agents of change that our world needs to see in Jesus' name. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love and grace. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to bring justice to our world, that you're a God who loves justice. You love it when things are right and you hate when things are wrong. And so today we thank you for that. Thank you that you are, uh, are never, you never change. You are always constant. And yet in the midst of all that is happening around about us, you give us keys and you give us wisdom and you give us understanding. Give us grace for the day in which we live. Help us to create a culture of justice in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own world. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you were watching today and you have never ever made a decision to accept Christ as your savior, I want to encourage you today to, to, to make the most important decision that anyone could make, and that is to open up your heart and your life to Jesus, to a relationship with your heavenly Father. Jesus came in the middle of time. He came 2,000 years ago, not just to teach, but he came here to save us. God sent his son Jesus not to judge us, but to save us. He paid the penalty for our sins so that the justice that was should have been meted out to each and every one of us, the, the, the requirements of that justice were paid. Jesus paid our debt when he hung on the cross so you and I could be forgiven. And today I want to encourage you, if you want to open up your life to Jesus, he first of all, he's gonna fill your heart with his peace, his joy, a sense of purpose, and he's gonna give you the gift of eternal life. You will be saved. You'll be born again. You'll come alive to his presence, to his word. And I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me. And if you pray this from your heart, I know God's gonna do something powerful in your life. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place so that I could be forgiven. And today I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for my wrongdoing, for my sins. And today I open up my heart and I receive you Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I believe that today as I receive what you did for me, I am born again. I will know your peace and presence in my life. I will never be the same again. And I thank you that from this day on, I can follow you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer, we are so thrilled that you did that. It's the greatest thing anybody could ever do. And we wanna do whatever we can to help you. Make sure you contact us. The, uh, that's on the screens right now and you can connect with us and we will help you take the next step into all that God has for you. He has an amazing future for each and every one of you. And I know that you are gonna be absolutely, totally amazed at what God has in store in the days ahead. God bless you. So glad you made that decision today.
sing this together. The end in the beginning, the new reality outside my understanding, but still within my reach. As far as I can see you, you're closer still to me. You are the so glad you could join us on this weekend uh, for our church online. Don't forget to uh, let your friends, your family know, send them the link maybe of this service or maybe next week's service so that they can join us. We want to do everything we can in this day when it's so easy for people to join us in church. Um, they don't have to get out of their homes and get in their car or visit us, but they can join us online. And I pray that through that, many people will come to know Jesus and many people will, will find a word of hope and faith that they need to hear at this time. So let's continue to do that, continue to be reaching out to the people in our world. We love you, we appreciate you, so glad you could be with us. And I pray that the Lord would bless you, the Lord would keep you, the Lord would make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you now and evermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you real soon. <laughs>